0: Good morning. Turn to your neighbor and tell them how much weight you gained on Thanksgiving. Just joking. Don't do that. So I do want to say something. Uh, For those of you all the way to the top in the upper deck, it's a little warm up there and we can't do anything about it. It's like a little taste of hell. Uh, If you drop down about 10 rows, it won't be so bad. So either you want to stay up there in the sauna or you can drop down. It's completely up to you. I know those are coveted seats up top there, but we can't make the heat Stop. Okay, so we are very excited about uh, something we're going to tell you about now. It's in the bulletin, but I want to just describe it to you. So we have, for quite some time, wanted uh, to do something where the whole church could come together on a Sunday. On a Sunday, the whole church come together and do something missionally. Where we could come together and not just go to church, but be the church. And we're going to have an opportunity to be the church next week week. We are partnering with an organization called Stop Hunger Now. And what they do is they put together meals, make meals, and they very strategically send them to places where uh, people need them. So like these meals that we're going to put together next week, they could go up to the Northeast to help people, uh, Sandy victims. They could go to West Virginia where they're still without power there, or they could go to some other place in this world. But they have a very well-oiled mechanism, machine put together for getting people the meals that really need them. So we asked them, how many meals should we, you know, what should we do? How many meals they think is appropriate? They said, well, if you have a group of people, average people, just average people, 50,000 meals. So we're going to do like 930 to 1030. That's the first service. Then 11 to 12. So we'll have two hours to do this. You'll just come just like you're coming to regular service. So they said, if you've got an average group of people, 50,000 meals is good. If you have an above-average group of people, you know what I'm saying, 75,000 meals. They said if you have a group of high achievers, right, like really like a challenge, 100,000 meals. Then they told us a story. They were at a group of people, you know, similar size group of people, high concentration of Dallas Cowboys fans. And they were with them two hours. They made three meals in two hours. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? How about those cowboys? Uh, (laughs) I could go on a long time here on this one. Anyway, let's get back to the subject at hand. So when you come next week, if you're an 11 o'clock service person, you show up at 11 o'clock like normal. Don't come in in, in here. We were already planning on being down uh, in the gymnasium for church. Uh, the day, so you'll just come right in. They'll direct you to the doors. You go to the gym. We've done this before to the gymnasium because the ballet, the Nutcracker is going to be here. So if you want to see the Nutcracker, show up one o'clock. We've got a number of people in church that are in. The, Derek tried out for it, uh, too much hair, didn't make it. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm getting off subject today. It's going to be really cool. It, this is the time to rally up all your friends and to bring them from 11 to 12 o'clock next week. We're going to make 50 thousand meals it's going to be really cool so you just show up now if you want to give us any additional help to that i'm going to be out in the lobby because we're going to need people to help us with greeting and with parking i think we the first service like maxed out all the setup help that we need so but if you're interested in helping in any way outside of 11 to 12 you can see me i'll be at the table out there it's gonna be a really great time time to be the church next week. I only have one other thing I want to say. In your bulletin, there is a special gathering for all women called An Afternoon to Remember. It's on Saturday, December the 15th. You can read about it, and next week they're going to pass out um, invitations for that. Thank you very much. And here he comes, Pastor Derek now, with much less hair than last week. He had so many text messages last week about his hair. Look at him, all cleaned up. How about a round of applause for Pastor Derek? Come on.
1: Well, you really get going, man, and you, can't, you just can't stop yourself, can you, John? So on the subject of hair, do you ever have a really bad haircut? So this past Monday, I went to get my haircut, and I don't have a regular person. I just kind of do the potluck thing. You know, I show up to a number of different places, and, and I just walk in and just get whoever it always makes for an interesting haircut experience. So I'm sitting there in the chair, and and this woman is cutting my hair, very nice lady, and everything is going well. For those of you who don't know me, or this is your first time at Grace, I usually have much longer hair than this. I haven't had my hair this short since I was like 16. Um, So the haircut's going fine, just a little trim, you know, just maybe like an inch off. And um, so... She's cutting my hair, does the top, does the sides, and does the back, and everything is going really well. And then she asks me what I thought was just a very innocent question. She said, do you want me to do the sideburns? And I was like, sure. Do you want me to do the side? Does anyone else think that's odd, or is there some hidden... Has anyone else had a haircut, and they said, do you want me to do the sideburns? And that was like code for something else. I just... I was like, yeah, they were a little thick, you know, a little sc- scruffy. And I was like, yeah, would be great. They were a little thick. Just kind clean them up. So then, you know, there's a time in the haircut experience where you, usually you're facing the mirror so you can see exactly what's going on. But then sometimes they turn the chair so you can no longer see what's happening. So my chair gets turned, and she gets the clippers, and I hear the zzz, you know. And then she just kind of up the side, and it felt fine to me. She turns the chair the other way and up the other side. Then she turns me back to the mirror and um, this is what I saw. (laughs) Do you want me to do the sideburns? If anybody ever asks you, do you want me to do the sideburns? Okay. Just clarify with them exactly what they're asking you to do so I look back in the mirror and it just doesn't look right you you know like and I had flashes of like the dumb and dumber movie with Jim Carrey and I was like but but I've often you know had a time where they did my hair and my hair is curly it's kind of weird and so oftentimes they'll do the hair and then they'll kind of like do it weird and, and I'm like uh, is that right? And I'm like, you got to go back and do it yourself and shower and get it all. And then it looks fine a lot of times. So I just was like in this daze, you know, and that was the last thing that she did. And then, so I just kind of walked out and I paid and I tipped her. And the last person, I mean, I should have known that there was something wrong because the last, there was actually another woman who was waiting for a customer at the, at the cashier area. And she just turns to me and she goes, Do you like your haircut? <laughs> And I was just kind of like, you know, I didn't even have words. I was just kind of walked out in a day. And then I go to meet my wife, Becky, and my kids for dinner. And um, so I was still kind of like, I think this is really odd, but I'm just not sure. Maybe it's me. So I meet them out, and we're literally like I'm walking up, and they see me from a distance. And as they get closer, they all just start dying laughing. Like even even my three-year-old, Juliet, was just like laughing. And so... um, this is actually the correction. This was the 45-minute the, the remedy to the bad haircut. But do we have that next slide? Let me see the next slide. So I don't, know if you can, I don't know if you can see this. I don't know if you can see this. There's actually a line. Do you see the line? It's like right at the top of the ear. She gave me a line. But n- not just, I mean, not both sides, just one, just one side. Like I'm like hammer or vanilla ice or something, you know, like. A line! There's a line! Like, it's just, it's so bizarre. And so, as I started to realize this, I took a couple of photos of myself using my iPhone, and um, I was so (laughs) angry about it that um, then I looked at the pictures of myself, and I was so angry. Like, I was just hateful in the photo, and I was like, oh, man, I'm ugly when I'm angry. So I had to delete those, and I'm smiling, but I'm actually not really happy. It (laughs) It was just because I looked so terrible when I was angry. So... I'm still kind of mad about it, you know? And, um, oh, thank you. So today, we are looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, Jesus is angry. He is ticked off about something. I'm sure it wasn't over a bad haircut, okay? But something is going on, and Jesus is pretty fired up. We're going to start in verse 12 and go to 17. That's our main text for this morning. It says, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. So what's happening here is that Jesus is with his 12 disciples, and this is the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. So they are heading into Jerusalem, which is important for you to understand the context here, okay? Jesus has had this whole ministry going on, and now this is the final week. He's been going around Jerusalem because Jerusalem is like where the power structure is. This is where the temple is. This is where all the religious leaders are. This is where the authorities are. He knows going into Jerusalem is going to lead to his death. So everything he's been doing and all the conflict and all the opposition, he's going straight at it. Okay, so you can feel the tension rising. You can feel everything is building towards this thing. So he and his disciples, they're, they're leaving Bethany, and they're going toward Jerusalem, and it tells us that Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. What? What is the deal? And his disciples heard him say it. So he curses the tree. This is actually the only miracle of destruction that we ever see Jesus do. Right here. Then it says, On reaching Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. So he's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. This is where God's presence was. This was like the center of all Jewish activity. And he goes into the temple courts and he starts driving out the buyers and the sellers. It says he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he wouldn't allow anyone to carry the merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers. What in the world is going on here? So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He sees this fig tree. It isn't even the season for figs to be on the tree, Mark tells us. And he curses this tree. We read a few verses later in Mark 11, that the tree actually withers up and dies. Like the same day, the thing is totally dead, just sitting there. And then he walks into the temple, goes into the temple courts, And he sees all this commotion. And he sees people buying and selling animals. He sees people exchanging money. And he sees the whole scene. And he is so enraged. And he's so infuriated. And actually, in in John's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so John's gospel retelling the story, he actually gives us a little bit more information that brings the scene even more to life. He says that Jesus took a whip. He took this whip and he goes into the temple, and he is cracking this whip. And, I mean, you can just imagine. I mean, this isn't, you know, just think of your mental image of Jesus. You know, Jesus is just on fire. He is so angry, and he's got this whip, and he's just driving people out. And he comes over to the tables, and he, he turns the tables over in the temple, and he's like, what are you people doing? I mean, does this not wreck your image of who Jesus is? This isn't my image of Jesus, turning over temples, screaming at people. Cracking a whip? Cursing trees? What's the deal? Why is Jesus so angry? Let's try and unpack this. So, the temple in Jerusalem. This was the epicenter of the Jewish life and the Jewish faith. The temple in Jerusalem was where God's presence resided in an incredible way. And so if you were Jewish 2,000 years ago, the deal was this temple is where you would come to worship God. Now, if you live far away from Jerusalem, you wouldn't go there, but there were a, a few different times during the year where you would make a pilgrimage. You would literally like walk to Jerusalem for wherever you were, and you would go there to worship God. So this is the Passover festival, okay? So everyone who was Jewish would come into Jerusalem. It's a huge, huge event. Everyone would come. And the reason that they were coming was to, to worship God, and then they would, um, they would have to present a sacrifice to God, an animal sacrifice to God as a way of worship. And so the deal was, you could bring your own animal. But if you brought your own animal to sacrifice to God in the temple, the animal had to pass inspection Upon your arrival, because you see, God deserved nothing but the best. So you couldn't bring like just some, you know, runt of the litter type of animal that you were like, this animal's about to die anyway. So let me just give this one over to God. No, 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 no. You had to pick like a perfect, unblemished young animal to sacrifice to God. So this was a big deal, and you wouldn't necessarily want to have this huge pilgrimage, and maybe the animal would die, and then what are you going to do? Or maybe it doesn't pass inspection when you get there. And so what happened was there's this whole industry, this enterprise that started, around what was a kosher animal. And basically what would happen is all those people who are traveling in, instead of having to bring their animal, you could just come and buy one. It was already inspected, certified, approved, and you could just get your animal, and you you were good to go, no problem. But what does this create an opportunity for in the marketplace? It creates this opportunity. We're like, we're the only shop in town. Kosher right here. You got to get it here. So there was a lot of extortion going on, a lot of marking up of the prices and people getting taken advantage of right in the outside of God's temple. On top of that all off, what was the deal with this money, these money changers? Well, what was going on was the Jews were under Roman rule. Okay, so when you're under Roman rule, you're using Roman currency, and that's how you're paying your taxes. But that wasn't how you gave your offering to God. So in the Jewish temple, you would actually have to use Jewish currency. So, so you'd have to go and ex- exchange your money, your Roman currency, for Jewish currency. And again, as that exchange was taking place, these money changers were, were marking up their prices, and they were charging people exorbitant rates to go and make this happen. So Jesus sees all this, and that's where he says, you've made it a den of robbers. I mean, you're just extorting people. You're robbing people of their money. And he is furious about it. Now, if that's not bad enough, one of the things that's going on that actually I think has Jesus just as amped up as what was happening with the money and the animals is that this, Jesus says, this was to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, I want to tell you the, the structure of the temple. So the inner part of the temple, if you were Jewish, you could get into the inner part, okay? So if you were a Jewish person, that's where you would go and you would worship. If you were not Jewish, if you were Gentile or pagan or whatever your background was, but you wanted to worship the God of Israel, the one God of Israel, then you actually couldn't get into the innermost part of the temple, you were on the outside, the temple courts. That was the worship area for non-Jewish people. It's kind of like today, just to give you a modern framework for it. It's like at Grace Community Church. If you grew up in church all your life, like if you were going to Sunday school as a kid and you could sing the songs about Jesus, yes, Jesus loves me, and you, you know, and you you grew up in a Christian household, going to church as a kid, like you've been a Christian pretty much your whole life, then you'd be allowed into this auditorium. You could come in here and you could have a seat and you could participate in worship and you could hear the sermon, no problem. You could come in here and have a chance to pray and contemplate and reflect and connect with God. However, if you didn't grow up in a Christian household, like let's say you grew up in a different faith or you didn't grow up going to church, but you, you came to faith or you, know, you were checking it out as an adult, or as a teenager, then we'd say, hey, that's really cool, you're welcome here, but we have a great lobby out there. And in that lobby area, you're more than welcome to come in. That's going to be your place. Don't mind the hospitality table and everyone chatting and whatever, and and all the sea of people kind of coming in and out, and all the commotion. Don't worry about that. We'll leave a door cracked open a little for you so you can kind of hear the music a little bit, and you can pray and all that good stuff. You know what I'm saying? How weird did that feel? So, Jesus, when he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, he's quoting Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 56, 7, where God is is giving this prophecy, he's giving this declaration, where he's saying, one day my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. There'll be no divisions, there'll be no barriers, everybody's welcome. So Jesus sees this scene with this kind of outer and inner, you know, inner place where the Jews could be, outer place if you weren't Jewish. You know, he sees all the, the, the commotion and all the extortion and everything that's going on and the separation, you know, of his people. And Jesus just blows the gasket. He totally loses it. He says, this, that's it, I've had enough. I'm clearing it, I'm clearing us out. Now, what about the tree? What about this fig tree? Well, in light of what Jesus did in the temple it makes a little bit more sense with the fig tree. Because you see, what Jesus just did was he pronounced judgment on the nation of Israel. Because here they were, they had all their little religious practices, but they completely lost sight of what was important. They were extorting people even though they were going to church every Sunday, and even though they were making their sacrifices. So although the tree had leaves, so to speak, of Israel, they weren't bearing any fruit. So so now you can kind of understand where Jesus curses this fig tree. It's like it's a it's a tangible reminder of uh, you know of, of this judgment that Jesus pronounced on Israel. Now I know some of you here and God bless you you're like way into nature and trees and you're like yeah but this is so not fair. I mean the fig it wasn't even the season and this poor little helpless little fig tree just gets to, you know just and then the fig tree just dies. I mean, how could Jesus do? Doesn't he care about trees? I mean, you know, that's terrible. But listen up, because this is really important, what I want to tell you. It's just a little tree. Just get over it, okay? Here's the deal. Jesus taught in parables. He taught in parables. This was a just a living demonstration, so to speak. Not living for long, right? He killed it. But, but... Boom, and it, it just sat there dead as a great reminder of this point that he was making. So he's always trying to drive home points, teaching with, you know, hyperbole and parables and stuff to really drive home the point. And all he's doing is driving home a point. And here's the thing, guys. I mean, if Jesus is God, he made all the trees anyway. So one, it's not a really a big deal. He's making more right now as we speak, I promise you. So just get over, try and get over the tree thing. Especially, especially if you like to cut down your own Christmas tree, okay? Because this is mostly, I said this for my wife at first service when she was here because, you see, she came from a house where they cut down their own Christmas tree every year. And um, I came from a much more godly home where, where we had a uh, synthetic tree, you know, which we could reuse every single year, year after. Don't email me the articles about how it hurts the environment. So I've seen them all, okay, the plastic trees. But anyway, so when we came together... We had to establish our own tradition, which meant, of course, what did we start doing? Cutting down our tree. Yeah, my <laughs> wife's, yeah. But, um, you know, please, just, and, and the needles go everywhere, all over the house, every room in the I mean, it just drives me crazy. So don't, please, if you cut down your own tree, don't complain about the fig tree, please, okay? All right, let's move on from that. So the bottom line here is, as we start to unpack what's going on here, it seems that Jesus Anger is pretty justified. He has the right to be upset because of what's happening in the temple. But what I don't want you to miss is even though Jesus' anger is justified, I don't want us to just kind of explain this all away. You see, one of the things that we often miss when when it comes to Jesus Christ is I think so many of us have this mental image of Jesus and, like, he's all peace and love and good vibes, and it's going to be okay, and turn the other cheek. It's almost like hippie Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, ooh, cool, it's so cool. Prozac Jesus, you know, just laid back. No big deal. You know, everything's, it's going to be all right. It's just all about grace. And it is. I mean, in, in many ways, it, grace and love and all those things, that's what Jesus led with. But make no mistake about it. There was more to Jesus than just that. Jesus got in people's faces. Jesus called people out. Jesus turned over tables. He was controversial. And, you know, we have to step back and realize this. You know the people that Jesus went after 2,000 years ago, the, the equivalent in today's people, who would they be? Us? Religious people. Those are mostly the people that Jesus is going after. He's like, hey, look, you're coming to church, and that's really great, and you're doing the sacrifice thing, and that's really great. But where's your heart? You lost sight of it. And make no mistake about it, Jesus did some stuff, and he said some stuff that was really difficult. It wasn't just all peace and love. And as he's clearing out this temple, right? I mean, you can imagine the impact and the ripple effect that he had. As he's doing this, it makes you think, man, this is a major problem if Jesus was just some rabbi with some cool teachings. You know what I'm saying? Like if he, just, if he was just some really smart guy and he had kind of a new way of looking at things and, and he was starting to get this following and then he goes into God's house and starts just flipping tables over and going postal, we have a major, major problem. The only way that this works is if Jesus has the authority to do what he did. Now, I want us to check out a few verses about this, about Jesus and authority. You'll, you'll notice many of these are familiar throughout this series uh, on the Gospel of Mark. We've read many of these, but just as a recap, Mark 1, it says, the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had what? Say it with me. One who had authority not as the teachers of the law. So Jesus taught with this authority. He didn't quote people. Okay? He just said this is how it is. He taught with authority. In Mark 5:12, Jesus cast these demons out of this man. And it says the demons they begged Jesus. Just picture that. Like the demons are like on their hands and their knees and they're looking up at Jesus and they said send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. So Jesus clearly has authority over the demons and the evil spirits and the powers. In Mark 2, verse 10, Jesus is talking here, and he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's him referring to himself, he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has what? Say it with me. Authority on earth to forgive sins. So he has authority to forgive sins. And then he said, so he said to the man, I tell you to get up, take your mat, and go home. So not only does he have the authority to forgive sins, he has the authority to heal people. He literally has authority over our bodies. We read in another passage where he raised a man who'd been dead. Several times, actually, that happened. So he has the authority to raise people from the dead. Mark chapter 4, verse 41. You probably remember this story from a few weeks ago. So the disciples are out in a boat on the water, and this massive storm comes up, and they're freaking out, and so they're like, Jesus, come on, don't you care? Come save us, save us. And so he, he says to the wind, away, stop. And everything just goes dead still. And if you remember what's so bizarre about this story, right, is that, check out what it says, and remember that it's actually dead calm now at this point. There's no danger anymore. It says they were terrified. <laughs> There's no storm. There's no storm. Everything's cool. But they were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? I mean, even the wind and the waves obey him. You know why the disciples were so terrified? Because they realized that this Jesus person had authority even over nature, even over the wind and the waves. Jesus says in his own words, Matthew 28, 18. This is a scripture I want you to just think about Keep, keep this before you this week. Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. If you want to write this in, please feel free. Jesus has authority over everything. Everything. Jesus has authority over everything. I want you to stop for a second and think about the implications of that statement. If Jesus has authority over everything, what does that mean for me? If you're here today and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you call yourself a Christian, what does it mean that Jesus has authority over everything? what does that mean for you? That can be a pretty scary thought. You see, for me, I don't always think about Jesus in this position of ultimate authority over me where I'm kind of like, okay, Jesus, um, whatever you say, that's what I'm gonna do. That's not always my mental map with Jesus. In fact, a lot of times, kind of see Jesus as more, I don't know if you've ever seen those shirt, those t-shirts, they were popular a few years ago, I think Pamela Anderson wore one and it went viral, can't imagine why it went viral, but uh, it said Jesus is my homeboy, and they have these Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts, um, I kind of see Jesus a little bit more as my homeboy, or, you know, like my, my action hero figure that I can call on when I want to, you know, I can say, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm going through a really hard time, Jesus, I you know, I, I need some prayer, I need some help, I need some wisdom, I'm going to dive in and, and see what you've said about this situation. Jesus, can you help me? When it works for me, you know, I'll pull Jesus down off the shelf and I'll say, okay, Jesus, you know, we need to hang out because I'm really, I need some wisdom, I need some prayer, I need some help. And, 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 you know, I think he's totally cool with that, by the way. I'm not saying it's like a bad thing or, ju- you know, judging anybody for, for doing that. Don't get me wrong. But my point is that for me, I oftentimes kind of pull Jesus down when I need Jesus or when I, Jesus needs to do something for me. And, uh, and then when it's not so convenient for me or maybe when Jesus is saying something um, in the scriptures and, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about that, man. Then it's, it's nice if I can then just kind of go and put Jesus back on the shelf, you know? And I say, okay, Jesus, that was cool. I think our session was good, but uh, I think we're gonna move on. now. I think I got, I got some of this other stuff done. It's, it's cool, don't worry. Um. You see, there's certain things that Jesus taught and they really resonate with me. Like they work for me and for my life and they're actually relatively easy for me to do because they're already things that I believe and that I feel. And so there's certain things Jesus says and I'm like, oh, this is great, Jesus. You know, this is awesome. So Jesus tells us, don't pray out in public where everyone can see you. Go close the door and pray in private between you and your father. I'm like, yeah, that's good stuff because I don't really like to pray in public anyway, so I'm down with that. Jesus says, you know, don't be a hypocrite. Be genuine and sincere in what you do. I'm like, cool, Jesus, you know, that's a good one, man. High five, you know, that was, that was good. I like that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that one. I'm gonna live that way. Jesus says, you know, you're supposed to help those who are less fortunate than you. You're more blessed to give than to receive. I'm like, that's good, Jesus, that's deep. I'm gonna do that one, and I've seen you know, I've seen great things happen in my life when I've been a giving person. Jesus says, don't judge, lest you be judged. Awesome, love it, Jesus. I don't like when people judge me. I don't think of myself as a judgmental person, so I'm not gonna judge, I'm not gonna judge anybody. Jesus, that's good stuff. I'm taking that one, and I'm gonna use that in my life. And the ultimate, boil it all down. Jesus says, I'm gonna boil down all the commandments. It's just love God and love other people. It's very simple. I'm like, Jesus, that is good stuff, man. I like it simple. Jesus, you're you're good. But then there are other things that Jesus tells us. And there are times when Jesus actually wants to turn over some tables in our lives. He wants to shake some things up because we've got tables that we've set up that are actually getting in the way of what God wants to do in our life or in this world, that actually kind of hem us in and imprison us. And there are tables that Jesus just desperately wants to turn over and clear out of our lives. And you know what we do? Oftentimes this is what I do. I'm I'm clinging on to these tables, man. And I'm like, no, Jesus, don't don't, don't mess with these tables. You, You can't. Don't take these ones. Okay, I like some of the other stuff that you said, but there's certain other areas, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So a chapter earlier in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, you know what? And he, he gets radical. He says, listen, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. Just take them out. He says, Whatever it is in your life that causes you to sin, get rid of it. If it's your TV set, if it's your internet connect, just get rid of it. Just get it out. You know what I do with that? I'm like, hold on a second, Jesus. This is my table here, you know. Um, I don't think you understood that you can't turn that table over, Jesus. And, And the way that I do it, I don't know how you do it, but I'm like, yeah, Jesus, you know, Maybe that was a cool thing to say 2,000 years ago, but that's not relevant for today. I mean, there's so many things that cause us to sin. How could that possibly be the case? And so I hold on to this table. Jesus isn't getting this one. Plus, you know, some sins are a lot of fun. So, you know, it's like, Jesus, is he really in touch? You know, does that really make sense? And do we really fully understand the context? And surely he couldn't have been literally saying to gouge your eye out. And so I'm just going to write the whole passage off and we're good to go. The other thing that is a classic uh, table that we don't want to turn over, we don't want Jesus to mess within our lives, is where Jesus says, you know, there are people in your life that you absolutely cannot stand. There are people in your life that have caused you tremendous pain in your life. Here's what I want you to do with those people. Jesus says, I want you to pray for them. I want you to bless them. I want you to love them. That's what I want you to do. Now, when you actually personalize it and put a face and a name on that teaching, that's crazy. Because at that point, I'm like, Jesus, you're not turning this one over. See, Jesus, you don't understand. If I forgive and if I love that person and if I extend this grace thing to them and I start trying to serve them, don't you realize, Jesus, that that means they're getting away with it? That's basically like I'm condoning it. Where's the justice in that? Jesus, don't you realize what they did to me? And so we sit there and we say, you're not getting this table. You can't have this one. Not turning this one over, Jesus. And here's the thing. When we don't give Jesus complete authority over our lives, like when we don't recognize that Jesus is the ultimate authority, that he has authority over everything, and that includes us. When we don't do that, we hold on to these tables and they actually hem us in. And what happens is then there's stuff that Jesus desperately wants to free us from. Whether over here it's hate and anger and bitterness and all kinds of things that will poison our hearts and turn us just so, just so cold inside. Or whether it's things that we're doing that are ultimately destructive to ourselves and to people around us and aren't going to lead to anything good. Jesus is saying, look, I want to free you from that stuff. I want to get some of this stuff out of your life. And the reason we hold on to these things, the reason I do, is because they're too hard. They're too painful. They're too challenging. They require too much faith. I would really have to depend on God to help me because I can't do that in my own strength. So the, the deal is, and we just submit to God's authority and we allow God to turn those tables over in our lives. God can do some amazing things, but it's really, really difficult for us to do that. What tables does Jesus want to turn over in your life? What things are you holding on to? Say, not, not this area. I know you said that, Jesus, but that was 2,000 years ago, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know if you're really in touch. What is it for you? Where does Jesus not actually have authority in your life? Now, as we close... I want to tell you what it looks like. What does it practically speaking look like for Jesus to have complete authority over everything in your life? It's actually pretty simple. It comes down to a six word statement and it's found in uh, the gospel of Luke chapter five. What's happening there is Simon Peter is out fishing in a boat and he's a master fisherman. And Jesus calls out to me, I haven't caught anything all night. And Jesus calls out to Simon Peter. And he says, hey, put the nets down one more time out in the side of the boat. Like, they're done fishing. They're kind of calling it, calling it a day. It's now the morning. Fish aren't biting. It's not happening. So they've called it a day. Jesus says, go put the nets out one more time. And here's how Simon Peter responded. He said in verse 5, but master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. I think that's Peter's very polite way of saying Jesus You got no clue what you're talking about here, man. And then he utters these words. And these are the words I want you to underline. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And if you remember what happens next, they let down the nets, and there's this incredible, miraculous catch of fish. This statement, these six words, because you say so, I will... If you have that sort of attitude, that's basically where you're just saying, okay, Jesus, you know what? I recognize that you have authority over everything, including me. And I don't fully understand everything that you say. There's certain tables that I'm like, how could we possibly turn this one over? This is gonna be so painful. But you know what, Jesus? Because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. That's the posture of someone who's submitted to Christ's authority in their life, and you would have no idea what might happen in our lives if we'd be willing to have that kind of attitude in those precious areas that we hold on to desperately, because we're so scared that something's going to happen, something bad's going to happen if we would yield in those areas. And here's the deal. It's awesome to question and, to, and you know, to, to ask why, and to push back, and to try and gain understanding, that's, that's an amazing thing. In fact, that's probably my favorite thing about this church, is that Grace Community Church is a place where no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, no matter what you're thinking, where your belief is, if you don't even believe in the Bible, if you don't even believe that Jesus was God, you can come here, and it's a safe place to, to seek and to ask questions and to express doubts and to wrestle and to do all those things. And same with our community groups. And you're not going to be judged or looked down upon or someone go, oh, my God, you didn't even believe. That's crazy. I mean, that's, that's, that's not the culture here at Grace. That's not what it means to be a church for people who don't go to church. Okay? So that's what I love about it. And, and I don't want you to hear me as saying, oh, well, I guess the sermon today was all about just don't even question anymore. Like, don't even, you know, if you just, just believe. Just, just do it. No, no, no. Question and wrestle and struggle and doubt and be inquisitive to try and gain understanding about what's going on. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, when you don't fully understand and it's like, ah, but that's gonna be really tough and real, I just don't know. Because you say so, I will. Okay? So question, seek understanding, but ultimately it's getting to a place saying, you know what, Jesus? If you truly are authority over everything, that includes me. Because you say so, I'm gonna do it. For those of you who are here and you're like, yeah, I, I'm at that place where I, don't, I haven't put my faith in Jesus as my Savior, but I'm checking it out, I'm kind of peeking over the fence at Christianity and trying to, trying to figure it out. You might be saying, well, it's cool because I, I guess since I haven't put my faith in Jesus, he doesn't have authority over me, so I'm not, not under that authority. That just seems like for people who have put their faith in Jesus and have accepted that he's God and that Savior and all that stuff. Here's what I want to say to you because this this verse was so helpful to me when I was at a place where I was questioning everything and doubting and I was kind of like, I don't know if this is all true and real. Jesus says in John 7, 17, great verse. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So Jesus was being questioned by the authorities. and like, do you have authority to say this? And what is this? And who are you? And where did these teachings come from? And what's this all about? And Jesus goes, you want to know something? If you want to know whether what I'm saying is truly of God, you want to know whether I'm God and this stuff is gospel, just start doing it. Just start doing it. And you'll find out. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, but you, just, you enjoy coming and you're trying to wrestle and figure out what's going on, Mark out a period of time, 30 days, I don't know, a week, whatever works for you. Mark out a, a portion of time and say, you know what? For the next what, however many days, when I read something that Jesus tells me to do, I'm just going to do it. Even though I don't necessarily know that I believe, I'm just going to do it. Because you say so, I will. Let me tell you something. There's only so much intellectualizing and, you know, discussion that you can have before you actually start to do the practice of forgiving somebody before you do the practice of some of the things that Jesus said and then you'll you'll realize for yourself. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that you didn't just come with this message of love and grace and forgiveness and kindness and peace and all these wonderful things that at least I associate you with 99.9% of the time but that you also came to stir some things up that you also came to create a little controversy that you came to turn over tables in our lives there are things here today that we are desperately holding on to that we want you to have no part of and we've explained away things that you've said. Lord, many of us are tired of holding on to those tables. But it's just so hard for us, God, because we know if we allowed you access to that area of our lives, oh, that would be so hard. I think mean, that's not practical. That's not realistic. But we're just face to face with this truth that you tell us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you Lord help us to not see you as our homeboy as our action figure that we take down on a shelf when it works for us to pick and choose what we want to submit to but that we would be fully yielded to your perfect will to your perfect teaching that sets us free, that gives us abundant life, that leads us only to great things in the end. Lord, whatever you want to do in our lives, bring us to a place where we recognize your ultimate authority and we would say, because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. I don't understand. It's going to be hard, but because you say so, I will. Lord, we thank you for how you poke and you prod because you love us too much to let us stay where we are. There's some tables you want to turn over in our lives, God. Let Let us just yield to you this morning. In Christ's name, amen.